I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13. Our sermon series is entitled, The King of Kings in the Books of Kings. And last week we turned a big corner. We went from reading about one main king, Solomon, and his one breathtaking kingdom of Israel, to now learning about two kings, reigning over two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, because that one kingdom had been rip torn in two. Who is now the king in the south, the, the kingdom of Judah, the son of David, the son of Solomon? Rehoboam. We learned last week that Rehoboam was not very wise. The kingdom tore apart on his first official day on the job. Rehoboam was a thumbs-down king. But God had promised a new king in this northern kingdom of Israel that if he had been, if he would be like David, even though he wasn't a son of David like Rehoboam was, If he would be like David, God would bless this king in the north like he had blessed David. What was his name? Who was the the new king in the north? Jeroboam. All right, you're following along. And was Jeroboam a thumbs up or a thumbs down king? Two thumbs down. Jeroboam was terrible. He had only one job, but he was a royal failure at it. Get it? Royal failure. Yeah. Jeroboam set up false worship. Jeroboam set up golden calves. His first day on the job, he's like, let's set up some false worship around here. He set up unauthorized altars to be used in worship in the north. One calf up in Dan and one calf and an altar at Bethel. And he set up feast days on whatever day he felt like. Those of you who are in our Sunday school, you know, we're learning about the sacrifices and the, and, the, uh, and the festivals. And there were kind of some important rules that Yahweh had said you're supposed to follow. He's tossing out the rule book, making up his own. He appointed people as priests who had absolutely no business being priests. Now, we had to stop last week at the end of chapter 12. Jeroboam had invented and set up this false worship to keep the people in the northern kingdom. He didn't want them floating south to Jerusalem to worship or he might lose their loyalty. It was good marketing. It was good politics. But it was terrible worship. And now in chapter 13, we learn what God says about it. And I emphasize that word, says. In chapter 13, God speaks out against Jeroboam. In fact, there is a key phrase that is repeated 11 times in chapter 13 alone. And I'm going to make the title of today's message. Here's our title. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord or the Word of Yahweh was what God had said that people should do and what God had said that He would do. What God commanded and what God promised. And that's the theme that runs through today's message. What God has commanded and what God has promised. The Word of the Lord. And as we learn about the Word of the Lord in the Word of the Lord, I think we'll learn at least three valuable lessons to apply to our own hearts and lives today. 
Would you pray with me that we would? That the Lord would get the word into our hearts as we get the word into ours. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to hear the word of the Lord as we read your word. Lord, give us ears. Give us hearts that are listening to your word. Help us, Lord, not to just be entertained by this crazy story or perplexed by it or just even learn about it. Help us to learn of you in it. Help us, Lord, to hear the word of the Lord. We ask because we won't do it on our own. On our own, our minds will wander, and so will our hearts. But we ask you to give us your spirit in such a measure that we would hear you. Speak to us directly, Lord. Use me if you can. Work around me if you must. But speak to our hearts the word of the Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so are you with me so far? Do you know where we are in the story? We got Rehoboam, we got Jeroboam, we got Northern Kingdom, Israel, Southern Kingdom, Kingdom Judah. Remember I said last week that it's going to get complicated and a bit strange as we go along? Well, last week it began to get complicated. This week, it's going to get a little strange. In fact, it's quite bizarre. If you've ever read 1 Kings 13, there's some strange stuff in this story. It's full of surprising twists. And it even brings up a lot of questions that it doesn't want to then answer. Does that sound interesting to you? I hope so, because here we go. Chapter 13, verse 1. It starts with our key phrase, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. Now stop right there for a second. Do you see how this just flows out of the last chapter? The original didn't have a chapter break, okay, between 12 and 13. It just goes right from him inventing all of this false religion to him now offering a sacrifice at that altar in Bethel, and God sends a prophet, a man from Judah that's from the, uh, from the southern kingdom to the southern end of the northern kingdom to bring the word of the Lord to King Jeroboam. He's got something to say. Verse 2. He cried out against the altar. Here's our phrase again. By the word of the Lord. Oh, altar. Altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David on you. He's talking to the altar. He will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. Wow. That's quite a confrontation, isn't it? And it's quite a far-reaching prophecy. Anybody here want to take a guess how many years it's going to pass? Is going to pass until a son of David named Josiah will be born and take the throne? Anybody want to guess? Any Bible scholars among us? How many years? 200. Anybody think it's 200? Anybody, anybody want to guess less? Anybody want to guess more? L- l- less or more? Yeah, it's almost 300. I counted up 290 in my study Bible yesterday. This is a prophecy in it like 300 years in advance. 
It's the word of the Lord. How does Jeroboam know that this is the word of the Lord? I mean, this guy showed up and he said this, but how do I know it's going to come true? Verse 3, that same day the man of God gave a sign. See, if the sign comes true of the short prophecy, the long prophecy will also come true. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar of Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so he couldn't pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. You see that phrase? It just runs through this chapter. What a confrontation this is. It's so dramatic, isn't it? Like something from Moses and Pharaoh. The sign is that the altar will be split. It's the same word in Hebrew for the tearing of the kingdom. The altar will be altered. The altar will be torn. And all of the burnt offerings on it are going to spill to the ground. And it happens right there and then. Bam! Rip! All over the place. And Jeroboam, who thinks he's so powerful, tries to stop the prophet. But it's him who stopped. He's stuck. His arm is shriveled. He can't pull it back. And he immediately changes his tune. Verse 6. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And he does. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and it became as it was before. How gracious of him. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. Which on the face of it sounds good. Like, let's have lunch. But he's probably trying to earn his good favor. Maybe a little bit more grace. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by, guess what? The word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he'd come to Bethel. Now, Here's where it's going to get strange, okay? Hasn't been strange so far. So far, it's been pretty straightforward, even though it's been very dramatic. You could tell who was who. But here's some twists to come in this story that none of us might predict. Verse 11. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, hmm. Which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. Gas up the car. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. Now stop there for just a second. Do you have this picture in your mind? There's this one prophet. He spoke to Jeroboam. Great big confrontation. Won't stay for lunch. Got to get back, the Lord said. Now, there's a second prophet. He's an older prophet. He's an older prophet who lives in Bethel, where there's a golden calf and an evil altar. How come he hasn't delivered the prophecy to Jeroboam? And why were his sons present at the altar to hear what went down between Jeroboam and the man of God from Judah? And we don't know. But something doesn't feel right in this story. 
He's heard all of this and he's gone donkey riding off to see if he can intercept the man of God from Judah. He shouldn't be able to because there's only six miles from Bethel to Judah. However, the man of God from Judah has decided to take a pit stop and is pulled over at a rest area. Verse 14, he found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told, what? By the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. So far, so good. Verse 18. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me, By the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. Oh, boy. All of a sudden, this story has taken quite a turn, hasn't it? And it's a turn for the worst. What we have here is a rogue prophet. A false prophet who is putting words into the Lord's mouth. Here's point number one this morning of three. The word of the Lord should be faithfully shared. Not falsely. The word of the Lord should be faithfully shared. If we shouldn't bear false witness against our neighbor... How much more should we be careful what we say God has said? The man from Judah had shared the word of the Lord faithfully to Jeroboam. But this guy, this guy was faking it. That's a scary thing, friends. This summer I'm teaching a preaching class. It's a hunter and a couple of other guys. And every week at preaching class, we are stressing that what we are doing when we preach is sharing the words of God. And that is a very high privilege and responsibility. Beware of people who put words into God's mouth. And have Him say what they want Him to say as if they were some kind of divine ventriloquists. Fathers, you have a responsibility to share the word of the Lord faithfully with your children. Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, it's part of your job description as a dad to teach the word of of the Lord to your kids faithfully. Like we talked about with the moms on Mother's Day. We're to be mission-minded men. Mission-minded fathers. Discipling our children. Faithfully. The word of the Lord should be faithfully shared. And this prophet was doing the exact opposite. We don't know why. Perhaps he wanted to keep the man from Judah so that he would somehow bless the northern kingdom. If we could just keep him up here for a while, things will go better. I don't know. Jeroboam certainly wanted him to stay for lunch. Maybe the old prophet was just lonely. Or maybe he wanted to trip the other guy up. 
The surprising thing is that he succeeds in tripping him up. The guy buys his story. Look at verse 19. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. Didn't see that coming, did you? While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. Didn't see that coming either. He cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, this is what the Lord says, you have defied the word of the Lord. And have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where He told you not to eat or drink. Therefore your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. Wait, what? Now the word of the Lord, the the real word of the Lord comes on to the old prophet, the one who just lied? And he proclaims judgment on the man of Judah who had just proclaimed judgment on the king of Israel? Are you following this? And what was his sin? Was it being too trusting? Look at verse 21 again. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Here's point number two. The word of the Lord should not be defied. Here's the point that the Lord was making through the old prophet. He knew better. The young prophet knew better. This man from Judah knew what God had said. The word of the Lord had been very clear. And God would have made it very clear to him again if he was changing his mind in some way. God knows that this prophet was defying the word of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean he was a totally bad man. He had been a good prophet that day. But he let his guard down. He hadn't hurried home. He hadn't allowed himself to think. He had allowed himself to be hoodwinked, to be misled. He allowed it. He had done on a small scale what Jeroboam was doing on a national scale. He defied the word of the Lord. And there are consequences for that. Look at verse 23. When the man of God had finished eating eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. Crazy, isn't it? When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it's the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out and found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Oh, my brother. Stop there for a second. This is a crazy story, isn't it? Do you know you were coming to this this morning at church? 
I have so many questions, and the Bible doesn't want to answer all of them. Why did the lion just stand there? You know, there he is. There's, there's a body here, meat. There's a donkey, live meat, right right there. There's all these people coming to see what's happening, right? It's like uh, all the lights and all that on the roadside when there's been an accident. You know, everybody's, well, what's going on over there, you know? Word gets back to town, and the prophet's, oh, I know what happened. My guess, my best guess for the lion is to show that this is a miracle. This death was a supernatural judgment, a fulfillment of prophecy, not just a fluke animal attack. By the way, this is not the, the last person to be eaten by a wild animal in the book of, books of Kings. Hang on, there's lots more of this to come. But what we're really supposed to feel is those words in verse 26 when the old prophet describes the younger prophet as the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. That's what's supposed to stand out to us. That's what should not be here. Just because you preach the word of God faithfully does not automatically make you holy and it does not exempt you from God's discipline. Preachers should beware. Just because I get the word right today does not mean that my heart is automatically right as I do or afterwards. I can still fall. And it doesn't mean that I'm exempt in any way either. Whatever the word says to you, it says to me. I'm very afraid of preachers who say one thing and do another. I'm afraid for those who enable them. Send them money. And I'm afraid to become one myself. The same is true for fathers. Dads, we've got to practice what we preach. We don't tell our sons and daughters to do one thing and then go against that very thing ourselves. If we do, we're unteaching whatever we've taught correctly. And we will live with the consequences. He knew better. He knew better. He had done better that very day. He knew what he should have done. Jeroboam knew better too. How about you? Are you defying the word of the Lord? Maybe in some small way. Maybe you're not Jeroboam setting up false worship left and right. But maybe you're the man of God who says, this is what's right. And then makes a left turn. Are there things in your life that you know you should not be doing and yet you are? I'm sure you've got good excuses for them. Maybe even religious ones. Maybe even an angel told you it was okay. Or a false prophet told you it was okay. But you know better. What needs to change in your life? What needs to become holy that is unholy right now? What things are you doing, feeling, believing, saying, thinking that you know better? They need to change. It's easy to point out the sins of others, maybe out there in the culture. It's easy to point fingers at gays or Muslims. But this passage demands that we ask ourselves what, might, what we might ourselves be doing that is defying the word of the Lord. I'd hate for the verdict over my life to be, 
he knew better. I think that the old prophet shows some repentance here. I mean, he's, he's the one who got the young prophet into this situation. He realizes he's done wrong and that God has done something holy here in this miracle. He recognizes that the word of the Lord had truly come to him, who had just lied about the word of God. And he recognizes a kindred spirit in his prophet brother. So he asks to be buried with him. Look at verse 31. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord, there it is again, against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places and the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. The man of Judah never gets to be buried in Judah. But where he is buried, this other prophet will be buried too. File that fact away. This burial site will become important again after many, many chapters go by in the books of Kings. Because what the man of Judah had prophesied will surely come to pass. Here's point three of three this morning. The word of the Lord will certainly come true. Look at verse 32 again. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel. O altar, altar! And against all the shrines and the high places and the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. You can count on it. None of his words will fall to the ground. Josiah is a long way off, but he's coming. And Jeroboam is going down. And yet, verse 33, Jeroboam refuses to change. Look at verse 33. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. God always keeps His promises, including His threats. That's what chapter 14 is all about. Let's look at this next story, verse 1. At that time, same general time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Go disguise yourself so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah the prophet is there, the one who told me I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. You get the picture here? Jeroboam has a son. He's named him Abijah. He loves him. And Abijah is sick. Looks like he's going to die. Jeroboam goes looking for some supernatural help from the prophet. The prophet who had told him that he would be king. That makes some sense. But this is also the same prophet who told him that Jeroboam should act like David. And obey the word of the Lord. And not defy 
the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam has not changed. He has kept up his evil way. So he's not sure that he would be well accepted at the prophet's house. He's, so he's not, he doesn't think that Mrs. Jeroboam should go as Mrs. Jeroboam. Don't wear the crown. Okay? She should disguise herself. And Ahijah's blind anyway, so she might get away with it. Do you think she will? Verse 5. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill. And you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? I have been sent to you with bad news. I love that. You could just imagine the blind guy meeting her at the door and knowing all about it, right? And she thought she was sent, but in actuality, he was sent to her. And with really, really bad news. Verse 7. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and made you a leader over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what is right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have provoked me to anger and thrust me behind your back. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it's all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city. And the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He's the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried. Because he's the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. This is a tragic mercy in taking this boy. The Lord will raise up for Himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Yes, even now. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He'll uproot Israel from this good land that He gave to their forefathers and scatter them beyond the river because they provoked the Lord to anger by making Asherah poles. And He will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to to commit the word of the Lord will certainly come true. Including his threats. Including his judgments. His holy judgments. Here we have the prediction, not just of the abortion of a dynasty, but the exile of the entire northern kingdom. It will be several years, but they will experience destruction and have their beloved land taken away from them. The Lord has spoken. That's important. 
It's important to realize that the end and exile of Israel had already been decided with king number one, Jeroboam. The word of the Lord should be shared faithfully. The word of the Lord should not be defied because the word of the Lord will certainly come true. Verse 17. And Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tirzah. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him as the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled, are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his fathers, and Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Jeroboam might have done all kinds of great stuff. He might have been a great dad who played with and taught his sons and and fought wars and ruled well in other areas. But the author of this book says that stuff doesn't matter very much. I'm not even going to tell you about it. You can read it somewhere else if you want. doesn't matter very much if he didn't do his one job of believing and obeying the word of the Lord. His son Nadab succeeds him as king. But you know, it's not going to be for very long because the word of the Lord will certainly come true. That's what happened with Rehoboam. The rest of our chapter for today closes the story on his life. It shows that even though he was David's son, he didn't end well. And he didn't lead well. He wasn't just a thumbs-down king for being unwise, like we saw last week. He was thumbs-down for false worship too. Verse 21, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. Judah, under the reign of Jeroboam, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than their fathers had done. More than the time of the judges. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Back in the book of Joshua. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. So much for family ties and foreign alliances that Solomon had made. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. Remember those? Daddy's golden shields? Gone. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them. And assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields and afterwards they returned them to the guard room. This is saying that Judah is on the downward slide. Everything is less than it was and less than less and then less than less. As for the other events of Rehoboam's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. And Abijah, his son, succeeded him as king.
We'll pick up there next week. We've already closed the books now on the next generation after Solomon. And the kingdom is clearly falling apart, or the kingdoms are falling apart. There will be moments, especially in the south, there will be moments of grace and glory. But you can already see where this is all headed. Why? Because these kings have defied the word of the Lord. They have the word of the Lord, but they're rejecting it. He says, you put him behind me. You put me behind you. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. It all comes down to that. When these kings are at their best, they remind us of King Jesus. Jesus loved the word of the Lord. In fact, he was the word of the Lord. King Jesus loved what God had said. King Jesus trusted God's promises perfectly. King Jesus obeyed God's commands completely. He was and is all that a king should be. And then he died. King Jesus was crucified on a cross of wood because he took on himself all of the defiant rebellion that we had committed. And the punishment that we deserved for our defiance fell on him. But he didn't stay dead. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. He came back to life just like he said he would do. And he offers eternal life for all who will turn and trust in him. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is king and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Because the Word of the Lord will certainly come true.